Well, we talked uh, last week that uh, the kingdom of God extends beyond this life. And that's an important message. And remember, that's why all of a sudden Peter and John got in trouble because they were preaching on the resurrection from the dead. And we need to understand that there's more to this life than this life. And so that's one of the things that gets the church in trouble is that when you, in, in that sense, we're telling people, listen, there's another life that you gotta be ready for. You gotta be prepared for. You gotta get, you gotta get your life ready and understand that this life, only, only this little sliver of a life affects your, all your eternity. And so we talked about last week that we talked about the power to operate in the kingdom of God, the power to operate that in that life comes through the Holy Spirit. And so I, you know, we, we want to encourage you really to take that weekend seriously that we're coming up to and talking about, which I'll talk about in just a few seconds. And really we found out that really God wants us to understand how to live with him in the ordinary parts of our life in order to be extraordinary. And so I encourage you to go and to listen to that message and uh, the message was basically uh, started with uh, Peter and John uh, praying for a, a man who was 40 years an invalid. 40 years he was crippled. And they prayed for him and he was completely healed. Miracle of miracles. And, uh, you, you know, we said, you think that there would have been shouting and, and singing and dancing uh, because of this incredible miracle. But of course, as we talked about, they weren't that happy because it was challenging them that God was real and there's more to this life. But we're going to carry on from that story because Peter and John are put in prison and then they're released from prison and they're threatened to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And I want you to read what is going to happen now. In Acts chapter 4, let me read this portion of, of Scripture and you can follow along in your Bible. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. As soon as they were released from custody, Peter and John went to the other believers and explained what happened with the high priests and the elders. They explained the threat that they had received. When the believers heard their report, they raised their voices in unity and prayer. God, our King, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything they contain. Why do the nations rage? Why do they imagine useless things? The kings of the earth took their stand. Their rulers assembled in opposition against the eternal one and his anointed king. They have assembled in opposition to take your, uh, opposition to your holy servant Jesus, the one you chose. And now, Lord, take note of their intimidations intended to silence us. Grant us, your servants, the courageous confidence we need to go ahead and to proclaim your message while you reach out your hand and heal people, enabling us to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They finished their prayer and immediately the whole place where they were gathered began to shake. All the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking God's message with courageous confidence. The disciples' response to a culture and a king that was trying to intimidate and silence them. Do you think that we're alive today in a culture and a king that's trying to intimidate and silence the message of the gospel? But in unity and wonderful harmony, they arose in prayer and asked the to be empowered 
to proclaim the message of the gospel with greater boldness. And God answered their prayer. He filled them with the Holy Spirit in order to do that. And as Pastor Matt has said on this date on November 10th, I really want to encourage you to put that in your calendar and say, honey, we need to go to that. We need to go to that morning and that afternoon. And uh, it's an investment in your life. And I, I just, you know, the Holy Spirit weekend really... I want you to all come and understand more. The videos that we're going to be presenting there are from the Alpha series. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, guys, we need to be reminded, is not just for Pentecostal believers. Every single Christian believes in the Holy Spirit. Every single Christian needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to, you to come and to invest one day to meet with God. Maybe for some of you, will be in a new way, in a deeper way. And uh, I want to encourage you to really consider that and to take that on. That's what they did. And they prayed and God blessed them. And, and he, began to, he began to fill them and he began to empower them to preach one message. One message. And uh, they were praying for this, this power to come and to preach the gospel. And as you remember, the gospel is not just uh, you get saved. And, uh, you know, really that's not even, that's just a small portion of the gospel. The gospel is really that you can have a relationship with God. You can come into his kingdom. You can dwell with God in this life, in the everyday, ordinary parts of your life. You can have a relationship with God now and forever. That's the gospel. And part of the gospel is the forgiveness of sin. But we need to understand this incredible opportunity that God is giving. And this week, I'm going to talk about that one message. That one message. And I really feel today that the Holy Spirit has some people here that need an encouragement in the message of God to your heart and to your life. And I really believe that God wants to set some people free from the bondage of thinking, you know, I have to be perfect in order to walk and talk and do the things that God wants me to do. And we're going to talk about that today. Next week, I'm going to talk about the one voice, the one voice that we need to have together today. Because how many of you know to oppose all the voices that are in this world, you could spend your entire life going, shooting this direction, shooting that direction, shooting this direction. But God actually just wants us to focus on one thing. Focus on him, focus on his message, and everything else will come into place if we do those things. Amen? We're going to pray today, and I want to pray for, uh, I want to pray for the, the synagogue in Pittsburgh uh, where the tragedy happened, where 11 people were murdered. And uh, you know what? It's just a crazy world, isn't it? Crazy world right now. And uh, we want to pray for God's blessing on those families in that nation. And uh, thank you, Lord. Father, we do pray for the families and the people affected by this tragedy in, in Pittsburgh. Lord God, I pray your blessing upon that, Father God. Holy Spirit, come and comfort those people. And I pray, God, that fear will be bound and cast down. Lord, people entering into a, just a place of worship and uh, experiencing that. But Lord, I just pray your blessing on the nation of the United States and really our, na- our world, God, because these things are so televised and so put forward that it seems to affect us all. But Lord, I pray today for this church family that we will begin to proclaim the one message with such authority, such power, such love, such grace, such anointing that God, every other message pales in comparison with the one message. 
We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, what is the one message that the enemy wants to, the world wants to intimidate and silence us from sharing? I mean, it's kind of profound, but here it is. I'm going to keep it, you know, as profound as I can get. Here we go. Number one is we are broken and we can't fix things on our own. That's the first part of the message. (laughs) The world's broken. The world's broken. How many of you know people are broken? How many of you know nations are broken right now? How many of you know that uh, if you look in the mirror sometimes, how many of you know you're broken? And the people around you are broken. We are a broken world. We are broken in so many different ways. And that's the first part of the message. Something is wrong. (laughs) Something's wrong with ourselves. And really that something, and this is where it gets interesting, this is where we get challenged by our culture, is we say, you know, that something that is wrong is that you're trying to live your life independent from God. That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. And and the more we live independently from God, how many of you know the more we live independently from God, the further we actually move away from him, which makes sense. But then the incredible thing happens. We actually begin to blame our brokenness on the God that we've moved away from. The Bible talks about this fact that, you know, be careful that you don't allow sin to come in your heart because sin, this brokenness, it causes you to turn away from the living God. And that's the first part of our message, you know, and and it's incredible because, you know, you and I and humanity, I want you to understand we are amazing. We're amazing because we're created in the image of God. You know, we're created to be creative. We're created with incredible relational ability and desire. We are created to be blessed and to be fruitful and to multiply. We are created to put things in order, to keep things in order. We are created in so many ways to do so many amazing things. Mankind is amazing because they're created in the image of God. But when we begin to turn away from the God of our creation and begin to worship things that he's created rather than the creator, how many of you know we get more broken? We get more broken. And I'm just going to read this scripture. It's not going to come up on your screen, but I just want to read a portion of Romans chapter 1. It says, people knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but they were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the world, the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at a roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the one true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them. The God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh yes, hallelujah. You see guys, you gotta understand, our sinful heart is turning away from God. And this is the message of the church. The church is like, guys, you're broken and you can't fix it on your own. The world's broken and they can't fix it on their own. This thing called sin, this thing called sin that causes us to turn away from God is the first part of our message. And we have to start declaring it with boldness in this hour. Because the world is desperately broken and in need of a clarion voice that says, you are broken because you've turned 
away from God. See, mankind says things like people are addicted to fill in the blank. So therefore, let's give them safe places to be addicted. (laughs) And the kingdom of God says people are addicted and therefore come home to the Father that you might be set free from your addiction. That's the heart of the gospel. Hallelujah. So God wants you to be free. Well, no, I want to be addicted. But being addicted is killing you. How many of you know sin is fun? For a season. We were in a restaurant yesterday, my family and I, and uh, I won't tell you where it was, but you you can write on the walls. People were writing all kinds of things on the walls. And so one of the things written on one of the big portions of the wall was, uh, if you don't sin, Jesus died for nothing. Then they gave me a felt pen. <laughs> and so I went and wrote on big letters right underneath it. I said, sin is fun. But only for a while. And then I put a little unhappy face. That's it. That's our world, guys. Do you understand? They don't know the gospel. They don't know the good news. They don't know the hope that Christ has for them. And so they make jokes about what Jesus has done because they don't know him. You know, our world says people don't know who they are, so let them be whoever they want to be. And the word of God says, oh no, God, you're created in the image of God. You're created with incredible worth and incredible value. You are, you, you are image bearers to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow, what worth and value you have. The fact that that message is being challenged in our school systems today is mind-blowing to me by educated people. Wow. How many of you know we got to preach the message with boldness? This is what happened. They're getting threatened and they're like, well, do whatever you want to do to us and we need to preach. We got to hold up the message. We got to hold it up because it's the only hope of the world, you guys. You know, don't get mad at the world. Don't get mad at sinners. Just tell them the good news. There's hope for you in your brokenness. You see, our independence from God has left us broken and in need of someone or something to rescue us. We need to know that. It's the first part of the gospel. Here's the second part of the gospel. God meets us in our brokenness to make us whole. Let me read this to you from the message. Sorry, uh, the Message Bible, Romans 8. It's on your screen. You can read along with me. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. (laughs) He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered into the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Come on. This is the good news. 
you are broken and you can't fix it, but God sent his son, Jesus, to enter into the struggling mess of humanity and to set it right once and for all. Come on. Well, how do we enter into Christ being here for us? It's interesting because if you understand it from a trial perspective, this is where it gets really challenging for people. Let's say that humanity, but we'll be more specific, let's say that you're on trial. And you're on trial for everything that you've ever done. And, and let me explain that in a minute. There are several other characters in the trial. The trial has a prosecuting attorney, who is the devil. And uh, the, the trial has a judge, and that judge is God. And God, he is good, he is loving, he is kind, but he is also just. And because he is just, he can't change his justice any more than he can change any part of his other nature. In other words, the violation of his holy law requires a penalty, and the penalty is very challenging. There's also someone else in your, in your trial, and that is the defense attorney, and he happens to be the son of the judge. His name is Jesus. So you're sitting there, and you're the accused, and uh, you're sitting there, and suddenly they start listing off the record of all the things that you've ever done wrong. Uh, th- this is a little bit unnerving, because not only they, are they listing the things that you've done wrong, you know, that you kind of know you've done wrong, but they start listing things like you thought about doing wrong. They start listing things about things you've said. I mean, I'm telling you, everything's being unlined. Guys, Hebrews 4.13 says this. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So there you are, you're on trial, and, and all this stuff's coming out, and you're just shrinking in your seat. Everything you are trying to defend, hide, cover, blame, justify, are you following me? This is mankind's world. And, and all of a sudden, we're on trial, and all this stuff is coming out. You know, the devil, he stands up and he, he begins to remind God of his holy law and the penalty for violating it. And he says, God, may I remind you that the, you know, the penalty for violating all of your law, any part of your law, all of your law is death. There's one penalty. <laughs> that you be removed, not only physical death, but emotional death, all kinds of death, finally the ultimate separation from God, which is called the second death or eternal separation. And the devil's in his glee as he reads off the list because the wages of sin is death. And so God starts to tell God, you know, God, you want me to remind you where it says that in your law? And of course, God rips his head off with a glance and a word. Silence in my courtroom, devil. But he turns to you, the accused. But he doesn't have the same look he had in his face against the devil. He's a softer look. And he says, how do you, how do you plead? And you know the whole weight of the world is on you. (laughs) You know that everything they've said is true. And you start to lower your head and everything in you is trying to run and get away. And then your defense attorney leans over and he whispers in your ear and he says, it's okay. Just be honest with the judge. So what feels like a weight and a burden, you finally say guilty as charged. See, 1 John 1, 8 to 10 says this, church. 
If we go about bragging, we have no sin. When we are fooling ourselves, and the stranger, uh, we are strangers to the truth. But if we own up to our sins, God shows he is faithful and just by forgiving us our sins and purifying us from the pollution of all the bad things we've done. If we say we have not sinned, then we depict God to be a liar and show that he is, we have not let his word find our, its way into our hearts. And so we have a choice. Are you with me? You have a choice. You have a choice in, in do, I, do I say I'm guilty or do I run away? Do I hide? Do I, do I blame? Do I justify? Do I say it's my, your fault that I'm the way I am? Or do we own it before God? And so we do own it. We say guilty is charged. And the, def, the, the devil, the prosecuting attorney, of course, is, you know, he's elated. He's like, I told you, he's done all these things wrong. Now I want you to enact the full penalty of your law upon this man. And you lay there and you sit there and you're trembling because you know you're guilty and you're about to take the full weight of violating God's law. And your defense attorney says, Your Honor, may I approach the bench? And so he does. The father and the son, they confer, the judge and the defense attorney, and the judge reaches for his gavel and he says, I will reconvene this trial and sentencing for the client at a later date. And he closes the courtroom. And I want you to understand that all of humanity forever and forever has been in this trial. The devil is called the accuser of the brothers. He's the accuser of people. He's accusing them continually, using God's holy law to show how guilty they are, how separated they are from God. And every time God says, I'm going to reconvene. I'm going to reconvene my judgment. I'm going to reconvene my judgment. And then something strange happens. Your defense attorney, he leaves this courtroom of heaven and he goes down to earth and he becomes a man. He becomes a man. And he lives a life completely not ever once breaking the moral law of God. He lives a perfect life. He's the perfect human being. And not only does he do that, he starts to undo all the brokenness that is in people's life. He starts to undo the curse of sin. He starts to heal the sick. He starts to set the captives free. And you, you know, the defense attorney, the prosecuting attorney, he's going mad dog. He's going crazy because Jesus is undoing all the work that he's done. He's undoing it all. But then the prosecuting attorney gets a break. One of Jesus' followers, a guy named Judas, says, I will betray him for some silver. And so he betrays Jesus, and this mockery of a trial happens. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus is betrayed. He's falsely accused. They can't even get their story straight. Everything, they can't even find anything to accuse him of. But he's falsely accused, and he's sentenced to be crucified. And the devil's in his glee because he thinks he's won. <laughs> he thinks he's won. I mean, first of all, he was destroying God's favorite creation, which, by the way, is you. <laughs> he spent his whole life destroying humanity. His whole existence is to come against the thing that God loves the most, mankind. And now he's going to get to kill the son of glory. He's going to get to kill the very one who created all these things and all these people. 
it seems like a good day for the devil. And they go to this hill called Calvary, and they're there, and Jesus is being crucified, this horrific death, and the devil sh- mocking him through people and through even the people crucified next to him. It's this brutal, brutal scene. But suddenly something happens that's so unexpected, so incredible, so awesome. The courtroom reconvenes. And God says, I'm about to enact my summary judgment upon mankind. And the devil thinks this is it. Humanity is going to be wiped out. This is awesome. And then he says, my son Jesus is going to take the sins of the world upon himself. The devil's, what do you mean he's going to take the sins of the world? That all who will believe on him and be honest and confess the thing that has separated them from me, Jesus will take that upon himself. And he will substitute himself for the people that are accused if they will receive him as their Lord and their Savior. You see, the devil, I want you to understand that there's a great scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, church. It says, none of the rulers of this age understood what Jesus was doing. If they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. It was the ultimate sting operation from heaven. It was awesome. The devil thought he had ultimately won and destroyed all of mankind. But how many of you know when the devil's doing some evil and he's tearing down people, how many of you know he always overplays his hand? Every time. And God's just sitting there and it seems like everything's going wrong and oh my gosh, how's God going to pull this out? And God lays the royal flush down. Woo! Loser! Devil! And the ultimate sting happens. And this is the next part of the message of the gospel. A great exchange has been offered to us. Jesus will take our place of guilt and give us his place of innocence. Could there be a more amazing message for this world today? What a message. You are broken and you can't fix it. But God has made a way for you to be set free from your brokenness. If you'll just ask his son Jesus to take your place, the way you do that is to acknowledge your guilt before God. The Bible calls that repentance. Repentance. God, I'm sorry I violated your law. God, I'm guilty. But thank you that you asked Jesus to take my place. I receive Jesus into my life. I ask him to come to forgive me, Father. And then help me to live for you. So there we are in the courtroom and, and God says, you know, now it's been reconvened and he says, you're free to go, you're, you're free. The Bible calls that word, it's an amazing word, it's called the word justified. And it means just as if you'd never sinned. You enter into the courtroom of God guilty as hell. And if you but acknowledge your guilt before God, you get justified. 
Just as if you never sinned. It's not like your sins are all there, church, and the word forgiven is written over them, and you can see all those sins underneath. They are wiped clean. You are actually given, you are imputed, you are given Jesus' rightness with God, and he takes your wrongness. And you leave the courtroom pure, holy, accepted, guiltless, No charge against you can stand. Why? Jesus took them all. He took them all. (laughs) So you're walking out of the courtroom. You're like, what now? You know, God is not done. Crazy, I know. This is good news already, but it gets better. So you're there. You're in the courtroom. The judge says, you're justified. You can go. You're free. You're free. He says, but I have one more thing to talk to you about. Would you come back into my chambers? You think, oh, here we go now. I knew knew it was too good to be true. (laughs) You go back in the chambers and the judge takes off his judging robes and he's got a nice like white t-shirt on and pair of jeans. Puts on a nice cardi. You're like, who is this judge? And, And this softness and this warmness and this gentleness and he sits you down and he's looking right at you and he says, you know, we know you've had a hard life. My son and I were talking. We know that It's been difficult for you. We know that even some of the decisions that you made were made because of things that you grew up in and you're part of. But, you know, we have another plan for you now. We'd actually like you to consider coming into our family. I would like to adopt you as my son. This is crazy. Can you understand the angels of heaven are sitting there going, God, are you serious? That guy just had your son died because of the things that he did wrong and now you want to bring him into your family? Why do you think the angels fly around God all all the time? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then they get a revelation of the goodness of God. They get a revelation of the love of God. So you know the only thing they can do is fly back around and say it again. Forever and forever and forever and forever. And it never gets old. It's the best job description in the world. You got six words or eight words, whatever it is. That's it. Every time you say it, you're like, whoa! Then you, you fly by again. Whoa! That's how good God is. So you're in the family now. And that's the thing. God is with us through the process of becoming whole. He says, you want to become my son. You want to become my daughter. Crazy. We say, yes, of course. So he says, come home with me. I got a room for you in my house in my father's house. You come home with him and uh, you get your room and you go there and he says, there's a big party for you tonight. All your friends, you see, there's a bunch of other people that have been accused. Are you following me? There's a bunch of other people that have been through what you've been through and they, they've been adopted into the family of God too. And so now you got a family. You not only have a father and an older brother, you got a family. And he says, there's a party tonight for you. The Bible says that when one sinner comes to repentance, one heaven unfurls the banners, bakes the cakes and shouts and throws a party. That's a message. 
So you go there and you come down the stairs and you're feeling a little bit awkward. Because remember, you're, even though you've been forgiven, even though you've been justified, how many of you know there's still broken parts of you? There's still stuff that's wrong. And so you come down the stairs and everybody looks so happy and so full of life. And, and you feel like, oh man, I don't really fit in. And so rather than going into the party, you go into the back and you jump into the dumpster to find some food because you're really hungry. And you hear this knock on the dumpster. And the father, what are you doing down there? Oh, you guys were having such a good time and I didn't really want to interrupt. And I was just hungry, so I, the food's really good in the dumpster here. And he's like, everything in that house is for you. It's all yours. You, you and your family, this is my family. This party's for you. And so you climb out of the dumpster, you go in, and, and, and you suddenly you're having a good time, and everything's going well, and you're starting to understand. How many of you know it takes time to adjust to being adopted into the family of God? And so then one day comes, and you have a wicked fight with one of your brothers and sisters. Some of the other adopted kids, remember them? So what do you do? You immediately go upstairs, and you start packing your bag. Because surely now you're out. And the father comes and he sits down beside you. He takes your face. He looks you again in the eye and he says, son, I don't want you fighting with your brothers and sisters. But you can go talk to them and you can fix this that way. But I'm never gonna leave you. And I'm never gonna forsake you. You can leave if you want. But this is always your family. I am always your father. Come on. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Proverbs that's an amazing scripture. It says, though your father and your mother forsake you, I will never forsake you, says the Lord. Do you understand what a child would have to do to be forsaken by a parent? I remember I was meditating on that scripture one day and the Holy Spirit gave me a vision. And I saw a young man with a baseball cap on his head and his hands behind his back, he was cuffed and two police officers were holding him at the door. They knocked on the door and they said to the parents, your son again got in trouble again. Some of you are like having a flashback right now and it's okay. Um, and the parents, the, the son just looks up, this is the vision I had. The son looks up with his baseball cup and he looks in the eyes of his parents and what happens next is unbelievable. They say, we have no son. And they shut the door. That's forsaking. Can you imagine how bad that kid had to be and how heartbroken those parents had to be to come to that point of frustration with that child to forsake them? And yet God says, though your father and mother forsake you, I will never forsake you. This is the one message. This is the one message. Wow. I remember when I was a new believer and I had uh, been saved for probably a year and a half and I was zealous for the Lord, love the Lord. And so I had a career in electronics. I was working up in Fort McMurray and I uh, was offered a job at Syncrude Canada or 
thought to go to Bible college. And so I just went to Bible college. I said, I'm, I'm called to be in ministry. And so I went into Bible college as a new believer. And uh, I also got into a relationship with somebody. And, and, and the problem with that relationship was this. We were both young adults, but we were both immature young adults. And so the relationship didn't go well. And so I can go through all the details, but I'll spare you. All I can tell you is it wasn't good. And uh, we ended up breaking up. But you see, I was an immature, broken person. And so I thought I had blown God's will for my life. I really did. I thought I, I was supposed to be with this person. She's the perfect person for me. Therefore, I've blown the will of God. Where do you go from there? I just quit my job. I'm in Bible college. Things are not pretty. And, uh, you know, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I start gaining weight. My pastor pulls me in and says, you know, Greg, they're never going to respect you as a pastor if you're, if you're fat, so you better change. <laughs> I know it's funny now, but man, it was like confirmation of confirmations of badness, how bad I was. Do you understand? <laughs> He's a good man. He just kind of made a little boo-boo that day. Where do you go when you've blown God's will for your life? But you know what I can tell you guys is that God actually just began to speak to me through his Holy Spirit and unfold his grace and his love for me. And mostly he used the church of Jesus Christ to do it. I could tell you about my friend Kelly who just was this great friend who just hung out with me even though I was this loser who gained weight and was broken up from my girlfriend now. And I actually got let go from my position at the church as an intern. Not threatening you or anything, Mitchell, but... Uh, it happens. <laughs> Yet I digress. I could tell you about my friend Kelly who just loved me. He just loved me. And he was there for me. I could tell you about a lady who came up to me and gave me Psalm 40. She said, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me and I, I really feel to give you this word. And this is what it said. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and the mire and he set my feet on the rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. I could tell you about the prayer meeting I went to and the guy prayed for me and, and something literally, physically, supernaturally happened and a, and a grief and a brokenness. I wailed at that altar. Something came over me and I, I wept like I, no man should ever weep but yet he should because God was cleansing me of something, a brokenness that I've had. You understand? I could tell you about that. I could tell you about the time I woke up and Billy Joel was singing on the radio and uh, late again for Bible college because every morning I woke up depressed and I thought, what's the point of going? And uh, Billy Joel was singing just the way you are. I'm gonna try and sing it, but it's really... I'm gonna tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit sang... Billy Joel's song over me. You're like, that's so weird. I know. But do you understand? Your father will never leave you. And he can use Billy Joel. Here's, here's, here's one of the lyrics. I couldn't leave you in times of trouble. We never could have come this far. I took the good times. I'll take the bad times. 
I'll take you just the way you are. Snotting and bawling on my bed. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> this is God, you guys. This is your father. This is the message that we have to share with this world. And God set me free and he gave me the word of the Lord. You know, I, I was thinking about David and Bathsheba and this is one of the things the Lord taught me to set me free from this feeling like I had blown the will of God for my life. That's a bad place to be when you're in ministry. And he showed me, he showed me David and Bathsheba. And so I'm watching this I'm reading the scripture and the story, and I'm like, David does this horrendous thing. He, he commits adultery and he, with this woman named Bathsheba. And then the, ba- the woman gets pregnant, of course, and uh, so he tries to cover it up by get, bringing her husband, who works for David, basically as part of his military, bringing him home so he'll sleep with his wife. But he's such an honorable man, he won't do that while his friends are fighting. So he sleeps on the doorstep of the, of the king's palace. For two days, David tries to get him to drunk to go home. He won't do it. So then David, of course, you know the story, sends a letter back with this guy named Uriah, whose wife is Bathsheba. Put Uriah in the front of the battle lines and then pull back so that he is killed. And they do it. And Uriah dies. And David's like, oh, that's too bad. Uriah's dead. Gets married to Bathsheba a few months later. Takes her into his palace and thinks everything's good for a year. He got away with it. And then suddenly a year later it comes up, dude, no, you didn't get away with it. You never got away with it, ever. And the story is horrible. Though God forgives him, there's such a price that he pays in his family with his sons. It's horrible. But the amazing part is he marries Bathsheba. Check this out. A relationship that should have never happened. He marries her. And this is when God set me free. And through the lineage of that marriage came a child named Solomon. Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever walked the planet. But that's not the incredible part of the story. The incredible part of the story is if you check the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, it's Solomon. A relationship that should have never happened. God could redeem. And the Savior of the world could still come through that. Guys, this is a message. This is a message. This is a message that the world needs. They are broken. They are broken. And God is the only solution. And he will walk with them through the whole journey of wholeness. And some of you need to know that today. Because you feel like that forsaken child. You feel separated. God's never going to leave you. And he wants to use the body of Christ to bring you in, to love you, to restore you. Because we're all broken. We're all broken. Amen? And we all need help. You're never alone in your journey toward wholeness as you walk with the Holy Spirit and with the people of God. Let's pray.
Amy, come on back up and we'll sing a song probably. Maybe that one, that new one, you know the one. You're singing over me, that one. Overwhelming, awesome, incredible grace, love, mercy. That's a good song. Hallelujah. If you need help, whoever can come and help her, come up and help her. Just come up and help her. Let's start to play. Let's bow our heads for a moment, church. Church, we are living in an hour when we have one message, one message. But man, is it a message. It is such a message. It is the good, merry, joyful news that God is for you and not against you. Hallelujah. Your Father will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to acknowledge that you're broken and you can't fix it on your own, but that God has made a way for you to be made whole. And he will be with you on the entire journey of wholeness. And so if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I am broken. And I've never asked Jesus to be my savior, to stand and to take my place. I don't know where everybody's at today, but if that is you here today and God brought you here specifically today to say, man, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to take his place and he needs to take my place. This is what God is offering you. If that is you here today, I want you to raise your hand with me. Just say, Pastor Greg, that's me. I ask Jesus to come into my life. Hallelujah. I think everybody here has done this. And I really believe that the second part of the message is the bigger part of the message today. I believe that as I was praying this week. Maybe you need to know that, uh, you know, God will meet you in your brokenness and he will make you whole and he will be with you on the whole part of the journey. But you've been hiding in the shadows. You've not let God really embrace you as a father and love you. And, and you just need to say, I need the father to come and meet me in my brokenness and let me know that he's never going to leave me nor forsake me. If that's you here today, and I believe there are many of you here today that that applies to, I want you to raise your hand to heaven. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Yes, yes. Just raise it up high. Yes, 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 yes.